Greetings, everyone. It's Peter Pham. Today, I'm here to discuss about our latest piece, which is called War, the Invisible Fist of the Enemy. If you don't have the link to this article, I will attach that at the comment section and the description section for all the podcast listeners. So let's dive right in. So this is probably a more long-winded piece. I think there's so many different elements that made this a joy to put together, but also highly depressing to think about the ramifications of some of the ideas that are being discussed. Yet, in order to honor the element of actionable trade ideas that I had discussed about previously, in which I'm going to try to put a greater focus onto, let's start to highlight some of the seven major positions that I'm kind of looking at that have relevance not only today, but hopefully into the next little while. I'm thinking of a time horizon between the duration of this month going forward for the remainder of the year for some of these positions. There will be explicit details on each position as well, and I highly suggest for a much more real-time feel for what I'm thinking, you definitely can follow me on Twitter at AlphaVN. So the first position foundational support and resistance of oil. I highlight that by saying follow to win. So what I've been thinking about is, as you understand, oil is highly being affected by a major imbalance between an excess amount of supply relative to that of demand. It experienced last last month in terms of its futures contract basically minus $37 a barrel on expiration day. And now we're getting slightly closer to expiration as well. So on May 7th, I highlight something that is still relevant and would be just a massive moneymaker, which is basically a highlight support and resistance levels, a, a simple concept to understand for any technician. Yet, the foundation of the support and resistance are strictly a breakdown of buyers and sellers. And and simply what I indicate is that there's going to be a lot of buying happening between the $20 to $22 range. And you're going to definitely see a lot of selling below $25 all the way down to that $22 range. And what I also indicate is like if you identify oil going slightly below $25, that would make an interesting short position. Or if you're long, it would be an interesting position to basically exit out of. Now, this recommendation was highlighted on May the 7th. And right now, you know, we've caught a few more days within this idea. Today, it's about May 13th, so there's still a lot of validity because I'm looking at this idea, this premise for the remainder of the month. And what's so fascinating is that this idea in itself, either if you're long or if you're short, following just these support and resistance levels would have made you a lot in terms of trades based on the sheer volatility of the price of oil. 
which is or coming off of all-time highs. And we're still at that phase of price discovery. So, you know, there's going to be people that are anticipating that things are not going to be so bad. So therefore, there's going to be an increase in the price of oil. And there's some people that could be saying that, hey, demand might not be picking up as quickly as we like, and therefore oil could fall victim to this gravitational force. And in the instance of trying to address all of this and capture this massive volatility, I highlight for you the support and resistance levels, what to look for, taking into account the extent of volatility and being able to capture positions of long and short and, you know, capturing almost on a daily basis, multiple percentage points. If one was focused on the current month contract of crude oil. So this is a great example of true price discovery with demand and supply taking the precedence coming off of effectively a global reset in which demand plummets not only to zero, but even into the negative zone, and now seeing where we possibly could be. And I feel like this position is, I highlight this as position number one, because I feel like we're talking about some very fascinating data points. We're also looking at the net difference between all futures participants and really isolating the opportunities that exist. And you're not going to find that in many other tweets or many other newsletters. But I also want to indicate that I'm strictly using this idea of support and resistance for many people that follow, you know, trading, capital markets and investing. But what we need to ask about is how one formulates support and resistance. Is it based on some kind of moving average line? Is it some kind of like Fibonacci sequence? The key thing is the the foundational component of creating these kind of thresholds for any asset that you're interested in trading. And what we need to do is lineate the difference between something of substance versus sheer pseudoscience. So this is something that we definitely can use. There's still a few more days to expiration. Watch this work like a gem over the next several days leading up to futures expiration. And always keep in the back of your mind when the real hand of true supply-demand forces show themselves, and more than likely, you're going to see that as we get closer to the expiration of the futures contract for this month. So definitely worth watching, worth profiting from, and worth understanding. So that's position number one. Let's go to position number two. I mean, this is a straight up call right here. It's been a position that I've been building for several weeks. 
and there's still room. So that's why I'm highlighting it for the reader. We're looking at take two in the process of making all-time highs in this marketplace. Because frankly, a lot of people have been living at home and they have been wasting their time by playing a whole bunch of video games and potentially living in a realm of nostalgia because Take-Two offers all sorts of sports games and some of the best IP in this space. And the whole overall entertainment industry as well. So I think the way that I would be positioning this is that earnings is going to be coming out. You want to pay attention to that. And more than likely, going up to earnings based on the price action and based on the interest and based on the fact that guidance or whatever is left of guidance as far as uh, stocks are concerned, could be relatively positive, and one could actually isolate a trade between today and the earnings announcement. And just like I was thinking about Netflix last time, irrespective of whatever the earnings call is, more than likely you'd want to have a company in the video game space and more than likely, if there was a mini setback with all the momentum leading up to the earnings, more than likely that will create a buffer for you. And the ideal thing is probably it would be a position that you want to continue to build on for the remainder of the year. So that's why it's titled Running and Running, because this could be a space video games overall. You can see that through Electronic Arts, Activision all doing very well in this very tough tape. And I think that you could probably be building a portfolio around this sector as it will continue to run and run and run. So let's jump to idea number three, something I've been talking about a heck of a lot. If you followed some of the stuff that I've been writing about for pretty much what, 2018, 2019, I've been highly focused on this idea of greater centralization and the personification, the quantification, and the financialization of greater centralization is predicated on the government bond market and the corporate bond market. And what's more interesting is how central banks are being an active participant in, well, not only the government bond market, but now the Fed is going into the corporate bond market. And for the last several weeks, I've been very interested in ticker symbol LQD, which the Fed has highlighted as one of the ETFs that they'll be focused on in order to get their exposure into the corporate bond market. You can see the Fed is also shifting in terms of asset classes and slightly moving up the risk curve, but not extremely in terms of the assets that they're willing to have in their portfolio. Does this imply that the Fed is gonna ultimately add greater demand for 
corporate bonds, and therefore, is this going to create a raging bull market? Probably not. But it implies that there's a bid. And that's highly interesting because when we're thinking about building these positions, we're thinking about down days as opposed to up days. Okay, You have a lot of people that are still trying to short the market. They're saying that this is the extent of the recovery, and there might be grounds to that. I'll talk about that later. And therefore, all opportunities to short, they'll jump in. And probably for the the love of the game, the sheer challenge in itself, I've been more focused strictly on long positions, irrespective of asset class, right? Like what, what are the good stocks, for example, like the Netflixes of the world, the video games of the world. But then obviously there's going to be some interesting opportunities as far as corporate bonds are concerned. And maybe probably like an easy way just to dabble into this would be thinking about ETFs. There's probably way more sophisticated strategies. Happy to discuss about that on a later date that could be implemented. And it could be, you know, extremely lucrative. But for the sake of trying to capture as much gains as possible, so you're, you know, you're heading into equities, but then also understanding the need for greater centralization is demonstrated through the expansion of debt and government debt uh, via, you know, the 10-year, 20-year, or anything multi-year could be um, worth looking at as far as the government debt side is concerned. An idea that's been working throughout this whole, what, last 24 months. So that's been absolutely fantastic. Great opportunity during the crash to be able to get exposure into corporate debt and understanding that the Fed is coming in when necessary. I've also added in positions in the precious metal realm, probably more attractive to be in gold than it is silver. But, you know, there's a little bit of a bid there. I, I'm, I'm not going to be demonstrating a lot of conviction for precious metals because of the deflationary pressures that exist. Plus, silver is a little bit more speculative. I intend to write more about that later on. And actually, that is a segue to that next position, which is position number four about inflation or deception, which is strictly about gold. And I'm only interested in longing gold if it can break above, what, 1750, 1760. And since I've indicated this, this idea on April 23rd, it's been extremely sideways or suppressed. So you don't have to experience any FOMO by trying to trace gold at this time when you hear about how it's done year to date. Again, I would make a case that there's way more attractive assets, but thinking about like, you know, just in case we're getting that, that urge of FOMO, fear of missing out. I don't think you've missed out on that much because effectively, since I made that call on April 23rd, you wouldn't have gotten anything on the upside. And you probably would have had a little bit in terms of shorting, but um, there's actually very little volatility in gold at this moment. And that's probably why it's somewhat attractive because it's relatively low beta. But again, as I indicated, just like for that silver position, 
I'll be elaborating much more on that because actually my overall thesis is that precious metals at this time are a little underwhelming and have been slightly overrated relative to the opportunity costs we have. Then let's talk about another tech play, which is number five. I call it gaming the system, which is NVIDIA. We have an idea of basically going into the 21st of this month. And I identify for you its stop loss. Again, it's an idea about going up to earnings, how everything's gonna happen. I would note that I indicate, you know, about the GPU exposure that NVIDIA has to things like Bitcoin. Um, I would refer to that more as a proxy as opposed to the primary source in which Bitcoins are mined. I understand that there's better technology, but I, I think that despite the fact that Bitcoin is halved and it's made somewhat of a gain and a lot of people like it, I still think that equities could be interesting. And right now I'm very interested in all-time highs and I highlight for you a playbook as it relates to NVIDIA, very similar to Take-Two, very similar to my ideas towards Netflix, and very similar to where I think we could be heading in terms of a highly technicalized society. And you can see that in terms of the performance of the sector, and these are precursors to what many people in this space aspire to, which is at some point reaching a, a form of singularity uh, or technological singularity in which humans and technology have effectively merged together. And, you know, people like Elon Musk are talking about this with their exploration towards the connection of technology and our neural pathways. And then obviously, as far as centralization is concerned, people are very interested in that in terms of the surveillance states. So those are the two, two massive plays right there as it relates to technology thematically. And when I look at a company like NVIDIA, they're also thinking about smart networks. So it's not even just about the networks, but it's adding elements of AI to the network and then being able to be an active participant connecting into the smart network and the smart grid. This is obviously, it works very well as far as centralization is concerned you're gonna basically want a smart city that can do extreme surveillance. And obviously the network is going to be how that surveillance can be done with an icing on the cake as far as 5G is concerned, which isn't really about having fast data on your phone. It's about having fast data on any platform. And this instance, the aspiration of the smart city via the smart network is probably going to be a much more efficient tool 
for the state, unfortunately, as far as surveillance and information transmission is concerned. So sounds like we're still slightly off from that. And there's still way more interesting aspects in terms of the short term as far as NVIDIA is concerned, such as video games, GPUs, early stages of synergies in terms of its M&A, and how well it's done throughout this pandemic as well. So that's number five, gaming the system. Leading up to what I just kind of was saying was about singularity and convergence and why we're seeing the NASDAQ on point number six continue to make new highs because effectively it is the technocrats that are running the economy. And this is highly important, highly thematic, and highly investable. Even if you don't want to be a stock picker, there's still just a technology index, basically, which is called the NASDAQ, that continues to outperform everything else. A great example of this wealth divide that's geared towards the convergence of singularity and technocrats can be demonstrated if one is simply long the NASDAQ and short the Russell, which is a representation of small businesses relative to basically big tech and big pharma that could be seen as the major constituencies of NASDAQ. Hence why you're starting to see new highs being made and more than likely all-time highs irrespective of what's happening in this economy, irrespective of the extent of layoffs that these companies might be making, which are probably balance sheet enhancers as opposed to anything else. I, I would also indicate the, the technical aspects of what's happening in the market. So we see this what appears to be somewhat of a V-shaped recovery up to now, despite the fact that everyone didn't really believe that would be feasible. The question that we need to be asking is the extent of this V-shaped recovery. Now, if leadership is coming out of tech, hence why we're preferring the NASDAQ over all the other major indices, the question is that can the rest of the market see leadership anywhere else. And where we're at in terms of this COVID-19 business cycle, the answer for now is kind of like no. So therefore, what we need to think about is like for the other major indices, Standard & Poor's 500, the Dow, there's only a few companies that are really leading the way. And most of the other companies are laggards. So there's going to be a major threshold towards the extent of us making a full recovery until more positive data is coming out. So I, I take that into consideration when we're just saying, hey, like, let's just buy the spiders or the diamonds, which are the ETFs of the major indices, and saying, hey, um, you know, everything's going to be really well going forward. Well, that's not that doesn't seem to be the case. And in fact, you could say that since the leadership has primarily been tech and 
most of these companies only represent, let's say, 44% of the S&P. That means that this market is highly sensitive to bearish news and the chances of it making overall the entire stock market or like a composite to make new highs is going to be very difficult. So I would be very cognizant of that going maybe even all the way up to the remainder of the year. So clearly you're going to see leadership in some companies which are making new all-time highs. And then you're just going to see some companies just basically follow the benchmark index. And therefore it implies that S&P, the Dow might not be doing as well as the NASDAQ. And, you know, with just a few more data points that are kind of bearish, it's going to be a very tough take unless you're in the right companies and sectors, some of them which have been highlighted in these major, these major points. And th therefore, that leads to that final trade or position that you could be building is that since we're not certain that all the major benchmark indices are just going to like, you know, make all time highs anytime soon, which would be phenomenal. But remember, there's only 44% of the constituents that are really pulling up the market for basically a 50% retracement. Think about that, eh? You, you effectively have the same number of companies that have basically pushed the benchmark index to almost its highest possible extent is kind of like what I'm saying. Therefore, you need a hedge. Is it wise to go short the market? Not necessarily. I think that what we need to do is we need to go long in the right companies and then hold a massive dollar position. And the dollar is the king of kings. And don't take my word for it. Take Warren Buffett. In his Berkshire Hathaway annual shareholder meeting, he is indicating basically like he's holding a bunch of dry powder. So he sold out of airlines. It's not like he then deployed it back into any other sectors. Mind you, remember, some of the, the harder sectors for him to decipher traditionally have always been the likes of technology and um, biotech, which are actually demonstrating the leadership in the market. So therefore, he's decided to hold even more dry powder. And obviously, some of that position, these positions are going into the likes of treasuries and cash, basically. Highly liquid. And if you compare that to his overall portfolio, cash makes up a big portion. What, what you need to understand is from an opportunity standpoint, opportunity cost standpoint, you need to understand that that implies that he's long dollar at the end of the day. And he hasn't really made any new positions. We haven't seen any new filings for positions. But basically, this could be something that could be extremely thematic going forward. So be very cognizant of that. I'd use that as my hedge instead of trying to really like short stuff. I do see people that are doing intraday shorts, but you know, Who's got time for that? Let's try to build some great positions that are going to do well this year and then be able to hedge ourselves, you know, for any bad news that happens to 
basically the 60% remainder of the stock market by having exposure or sufficient exposure to dollar or to treasuries. So think about that. As far as treasuries is concerned, just be cognizant of that 0%. It doesn't sound like the Fed is open into going negative. So be cognizant of that as far as yields are concerned. And that's probably it in terms of some of those major trades. I'll continue to talk about those trades and investments. I thought we should have just started right away with that. And then now jump into some of the, like the bigger themes that we're looking at. And there's so many things to discuss about. So as far as those positions are concerned, 